welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Glimpses of the kingdom. We are in our sixth week of our sermon series, and we've been talking about glimpsing the kingdom. Kingdom. Kind of like the word kingdom, but kingdom refers to the family of God, the people of God, where the activity and influence of God comes through on earth here and now. And so in our first week, we talked about baptism, that is our rebirth that's being born from above into this whole new life of the Spirit. And you are born and commit to and are committed to by the church. Week two, we talked about the church as our home. God is our parent. We are siblings of Christ and one another. And we all have the same mind. That was week three. That doesn't mean we agree on everything. That means what we do agree on are the important things, the foundational things. We are in pursuit of experiencing the kingdom in and through one another and reflecting that outward for our world, our community to see that we agree on. And then last week or two weeks ago, we got into the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Jesus brings this reality of the kingdom, this entirely new and free way to experience the world. And then last week was the salt and the light. We are the salt and light of the earth, of the land. We're not going to be one day. We're not instructed to go find out how to be. Jesus says, you are. We are to live this kingdom out loud. And so today, we're going to talk about the rules as we continue the Sermon on the Mount. We all love rules, right? Rules are great. We just can't, we can't get enough rules. We want rules about everything, right? The more rules, the better, or not so much. Now, take social media, for example. Anybody do social media? I mean, you may be on multiple platforms or maybe just one platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, There's a a whole other list, I'm sure, that have come up in the last couple of years of which I am totally out of touch with. But do you know the rules, right? There are rules about things you do say and don't say, what you post and don't post. And maybe you didn't know the rules until you broke them and people got mad or you've seen people get mad at each other. And on social media, it seems there are these unspoken rules and it's uncomfortable if you don't know the rules. I mean, it's the same thing if you have a, a new job right? You start a new job, you walk into a new place with new people and a new culture. You want to know what you should and shouldn't do, what you should and shouldn't say. You want to know who you should talk to about certain things and who you need to avoid. Or if you go to a church, it's kind of the same thing. You walk into a new church, you want to know how to dress, what attire is acceptable. You want to know where to sit or more importantly, where you don't sit, right? Because it's somebody's seat. Or if you've gone to a new family gathering, maybe, maybe the in-laws or maybe just a new circle of friends, you enter their house, you sit at the table, you don't know what's safe and not safe, what kind of things you need to know. Or if you've gone to a new country, you want to make sure you know the rules, right? If you're in England and you're going to step off the curb into the street, you don't look to the left to make sure traffic's not coming. You look to the right. It's good to know that. Well, the kingdom, the kingdom's the same thing, friends. There are rules. There's a way to understand how it works. So what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, as we continue, is not 
a list of rules we're used to, but it is a list of rules. It, but they're not really rules at all at the same time, right? You're with me? That totally makes sense. These are invitations to go deeper. All right, so back to the work scenario, because most of us have entered into a workplace or worked alongside other people. You know there are rules, right? You're done at five. At five, you clock out, you go home. And sometimes you're working on something, and maybe five o'clock rolls around and you're not quite done. You need another 10, 15, 30 minutes. There are those coworkers that say, you know, it's five o'clock, I'm out of here, and they're not breaking the rules. And there are other coworkers who say, I know it's five o'clock, but we really want to get this finished, so I'm going to stay a little longer. Let's get it done. Now, what are the people you'd rather work with, right? That second group. Not the first group, but yet the first group, they didn't break any rules. They did what they were supposed to, but isn't there something deeper? We know the rules in Scripture. The Big Ten, in Exodus, of course, if you read the Big Ten in Deuteronomy, it becomes 11. Or the purity codes in Leviticus. You know, there are 613 rules in our Scripture. Yeah, 613. Life in the kingdom means we don't need the rules as the go-to word of authority. They are not the point. They're extremely helpful, but they are not the point. Like the coworker who's perfectly in line with the rules but refuses to stay past five, refuses to go further and commit and be a part of the team beyond what is required. You know, we, we aren't to become obsessed with the rules and spend our lives zeroing in on just following them by the letter or making sure that everyone else does. That's not, that's not the foundation of our faith. That's not the foundation of the kingdom. The rules are a good thing. They are a resource, but they're not the bottom line. The prophets spoke of a time when the law, when the rules would be written, not on a tablet of stone, but on our very hearts, a part of us in a deeper way. Don't think of that literally. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount went through the Beatitudes and then said to the disciples, to us, we are the salt and light for the world. And then he went on to say that he didn't come to change or dissolve the rules, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Not abolish, but to fulfill them. Now, abolish and fulfill, let's, let's take a moment here because these are words we may know in Scripture, they may be familiar, but if you don't know what they're about, well, you're missing a whole level of, of understanding. There's rabbi language, and that's what this is. Abolish and fulfill is rabbi language. And so Jesus is a rabbi. And Jesus would call disciples, and that was very typical of a rabbi. You may not know this, but if you were a young person, and in their day it would have been just the boys, sorry, but in our day it would be any young person who is interested in studying Scripture and dedicating their life to that would want to eventually follow a rabbi. So before you were six or eight, you'd be invited to memorize the Torah. Memorize it memorize the Torah. Oh, everyone's just so excited. Doesn't that sound fun? And then if you can memorize it by six to eight, then you would be invited to memorize the rest of the writings. And if you got to be about 12 or 13 and had all of that memorized, not only knew it by heart, but you knew the point of it, you could talk about it, you would get it on, on any level, then you'd find a rabbi whose yoke, whose yoke called out to you. The word yoke refers to the rabbi's point of focus. And every rabbi had a different point 
of focus. Do you have any guess what Jesus' point of focus was? I'll give you a hint. It's a big word that we've been using in our sermon series. Yes, kingdom or kingdom. Yes, Jesus was all focused on the kingdom. That was his yoke. So once you proved yourself, you wanted to follow a rabbi, the rabbi would quiz you. Can you become what the rabbi is? Can you do what the rabbi does? Can you know what the rabbi knows? And if you can, you'd hear those three marvelous words. The student would be invited to come follow me. But the whole point was to learn from the rabbi, to get the whole point of whatever it is their focus was, get the whole point of the scripture. If you totally miss the point, if you know it, but you miss the point, you have abolished. And if you know it and you understand and grasp the heart of what it means, the rabbi would say you have fulfilled. You fulfilled the law. Jesus has come to reveal the fullness of the way of the kingdom, to fulfill the law. Something new is happening in and through him, and by the extension of his very being in the Holy Spirit, in and through us, if we embrace the kingdom. Now, we don't have permission to break the rules, right? That's missing the point. But we are invited to move deeper because just following the letter of the rule is also a good way to miss the point. So we're going to read it. We're getting there. But before we do, another quick note on something you're going to hear in the passage. There's a word in Greek called Gehenna. Gehenna. Ge means valley. Henna refers to Hinnom. So when you hear the word Gehenna, literally it is the valley of Hinnom. Sometimes, in our more recent Bible translations, it is translated lowercase H-E-L-L. Gehenna becomes H-E-L-L referencing the valley of Hinnom, which is an actual valley in an actual place. It lies right next to Jerusalem. I have stood in the pit of the valley of Hinnom, the pit of Gehenna, the pit of lowercase h, hell. Yeah? If you want to know why this particular area was used in such this negative way, go to 2 Kings chapter 23, read about King Manasseh, about the terrible, terrible things that he did in the valley of Hinnom to the point where in Jesus' day it was a trash dump. The land was so cursed, there was such negativity tied to it, that's where they threw their trash and set it on fire. And so there would be fiery trash. There would always be fire going. There would be wild dogs probably sorting through the trash. You might at some point hear gnashing of teeth in the evening, in the outer darkness beyond the city wall. Yeah, this was a wasteland in Jesus' day. You didn't want to be in the valley of Hinnom, where there were always fires burning and unclean piles of trash. Gehenna, or hell, as Jesus would use the, the word, was the epitome of the opposite of life and thriving, opposite of the kingdom. So Jesus is going to talk about all kinds of things that will lead us to live an existence that resembles either the kingdom or the valley of Hinnom. And so, now let's hear Matthew 5, verses 21 through 37, and it reads, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, 
you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the fire of the valley of Hinnom. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into the valley of Hinnom. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into the valley of Hinnom. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The word of God in scripture, the word of God among us, the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is inviting his disciples into this whole new way of living, a new kingdom with a new rule, a new reign. And these rules, it's not a list. It's not on a tablet or a scroll. That's not what it is. It's an entire new way of life. The early church called our faith the way because it was just that, a new way. Jesus holds up the rule they know and follow, but then takes it deeper. It's not just don't murder. It's don't be angry with your sister or brother. If you're angry, you'll be liable to judgment. Now, this isn't a cosmic judgment by God. Okay, it's, it, it is a judgment, but not like we think. Let's think of it this way. If I hold my hand over this candle, over this flame, I hold it right over top of it, what's going to happen to my hand? Yeah, I'm going to get burned, right? If I leave it there, it's going to get hotter and hotter. It's going to harm me. And do you think God's making the fire burn me? No, no. Do you think the fire's judging me? Yes, but not in the way you might think. Judgment is the way, there's the way that things work, right? Flames burn. Too much heat harms. So if I want to avoid being burned, then I've got to avoid letting things get too hot. I don't hold my hand over flames. I must know how things work, and then I must live by the way things are. There's judgment. Judgment is things happen as they are meant to happen. Things happen because that's the way things work. If you make decisions, there are consequences because that's how things work. 
So if I make bad decisions, there are going to be bad consequences that would call that a bad judgment because that's how it works. God's commandments and rules are like heat or gravity. They are how things work. If I let myself boil with anger towards someone where I'm shaking and clenching my fists, I'm thinking about it all the time, I lie awake at night when I see them coming, when I think I'm going to be around them, then suddenly my mind is stirring and my heart is pumping, but I stop short of killing them. (laughs) I may be following the law and not breaking any commandments or rules, but isn't something really terrible happening to me, right? Something terrible is happening anyway. There's a judgment happening here because the way things work, you don't, you don't harbor that kinds of things to other people. It's not good for them. It's not good for me. The commandments and the rules of Scripture are meant to guide us toward how to live as true human beings, as we were created to live and act and be and experience life and relationships. If I kill people, well, that, <laughs> that doesn't lead to a fruitful life. That leads to a life more like that in the Valley of Hinnom. But so does being angry at people. Does it produce fruit to get mad at people in your life? Does it produce fullness of life to hold contempt against other human beings because they look different or they vote different or they love different, they think different? No. Does that kind of life, it it resembles more a smoldering fire, doesn't it, in our souls? It actually destroys our hearts a piece at a time. It's like holding our hand over a flame. Holding anger leads to damage to our hearts and minds and relationships and life. And so Jesus says, don't be angry. And you think, sure, Jesus, I'll get right on that, right? I mean, we're human. I can't, I can't help if I notice a bird flying over my head, right? Any more than I can help getting angry at some of the things that happen around me. But I can make sure that bird doesn't build a nest in my hair, right? That's on me. And if you let anger stay and be fed and smolder, that's that's on us too. And there's a judgment there. Jesus holds up reconciliation and making friends above worship, right? Don't sacrifice to God if you have an issue with someone in your life. Go and fix the issue and then come and worship. Because worship cannot bring you peace when you are harboring anger and resentment. You cannot be right with God if you are not right with other human beings. Jesus talks about all of our relationship through the lens of life versus death, or thriving versus destruction, or the kingdom versus the valley of Hinnom. And that's what all these rules are, these things that we just read. I'm, I'm just really going over the first one, but they're all about relationship, right? Divorce and adultery and swearing. They're all about relationship. Jesus holds relationship very high. These new expressions of the kingdom that he gives us, the but I tell you's, they do more than show us a better path. They do show a better path, but they do more. They reveal Jesus as the blueprint of humanity. What I mean by that is Jesus lived by this new way. And the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just good advice, it's good news. Because Jesus lived it. That's what his life was. He lived this whole new way for us to see. He lived into the way of being a full human being as intended. And Jesus opens up our eyes to see it in and through him. If we follow Jesus, we can discover this new way of life too in an ever deeper way. We can catch 
glimpses of the kingdom. Right? Jesus, Jesus lived it. When he was mocked by religious leaders and his contemporaries and even his family, how did he respond? Did he respond in kind and retort and make smart aleck remarks? And that's what I would probably do. When Jesus was challenged by the rule followers, he would tell parables and stories to them. He would respond to their questions with funny and disarming stories and, and ideas that forced his antagonizers to think differently. He would invite them into something new. When Jesus was struck, was beaten, he didn't retaliate. He took the pain. He took it. I don't even know that he recoiled. He took the pain. When they put a cross on his back, he carried it out of the city to the place of his execution and did not fight back. When they nailed him to the cross and put the steel or iron or whatever they were into his body, he prayed for the people doing it. He asked God to forgive his mockers. He did not retaliate. He lived by the way of the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount, it isn't just about us. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the kingdom which Jesus ushered in. What would our world look like? If the people of the church, one-third of the world's population, started living into this new and deeper way where relationships were valued over everything else, even worship, what would it look like in your world, in your circles, in your homes, in your workplace? If you said, starting today, I'm going to live the way of the kingdom. Well, we'd see the salt and light at work in and through us, wouldn't we? And the world around us, our community, they would look at us, they would look at our lives, and they would catch glimpses of the kingdom. Amen. We thank you for joining us today, and it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.